Lean Cast, Product Innovation and UX Design with Bonanza Design. What's up, everybody? Behrad from Bonanza Design. It's Lean Cast, another ep- episode. I'm here with the one and only Narjit Soni. He is a CEO of Lean Apps, one of the best innovation studios in the world. I can say that. Um, have the right to say that. Narjit is one of the innovation experts that is very hands-on and spot-on with his knowledge and experiments. I know him for about two years. I only have had one conversation for 45 minutes, and it blew my mind. So all over the roof, having him with me, locking him in for 60 minutes, to talk to you about innovation. Narjit, how are you feeling? Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Vera. It was, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the discussion we had. It was, it was quite intense. A uh, short discussion, but it was amazing. And uh, yeah, uh, from that day, uh, from that day, probably I knew uh, for that 45 minutes that we kind of share the same vibe. And, uh, and uh, here we are. Yeah, I think it's, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Najid, I am a big follower of your content. I think to all the folks that are listening to this podcast, follow him on LinkedIn. He is giving away lots of hands-on tips, content, instructions on LinkedIn that you would have to spend a lot of money elsewhere to get. Follow him on LinkedIn. I put the link in the description. I have many questions listed but i want to open up the conversation about the nature of innovation absolutely why do most innovation projects fail is it a bad sign is it a good sign is this normal talk to me please yeah sure uh i think i've spoken to a lot of product manager leaders innovation leaders uh and one of the things which you've seen commonly happening around different companies, and this is not like size doesn't matter, kind of I've seen it uh, in different sizes, is they uh, they are quite comfortable in building products, uh, so to mm-hmm. say. This, I'll, I'll, I'll paint a typical scenario what happens. So a product leader or innovation leader or some entrepreneur comes up with an idea and uh, now, they, the typical scenario is that they have to get funded from a sponsor within the company. And for that, they create a business case. Now, this is the first step of, uh, you know, building anything around the idea. And this is where it already starts to go uh, go wrong. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Because most of the business cases I have seen and uh, are full of fantasy numbers. And uh, that's what I did. Kind of are coming from dream world. Uh, so how it kind of works is they create like this optimistic and pessimistic scenarios. Mm-hmm. And then within that, even the pessimistic scenario, they would kind of have these conversions of one person or two person. Uh, and then this again is converting into a couple of million dollars of rec- annual recurring revenue and stuff like that is happening. And these are then funded. Uh, so the best presenter of the idea and the best person who can put those numbers together those fantasy numbers together get funded, uh, and also they—I mean, I mean—they don't just present these numbers; they actually back it back it up with some research data, mm-hmm. uh, which which has been done by these big consulting companies, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, taking that as evidence, so of the market, so to say, they go ahead get the get funded. And one of the biggest milestone uh, within those uh, business cases I've seen is in six months we'll be going to market, mm-hmm. and uh, so. That's where all the engineers come in. They are pretty good at building amazing products. The product is built in a really, really good fashion. Uh, UX uh, agencies or even their internal UX teams are creating beautiful, beautiful designs of how how the product would function. Uh, they probably also do this user testing with uh, in, in, on, on the way of the product uh, prototype, basically. And then they go to market. And then they spend some uh, marketing money on this. Uh, they also have budgeted that. So they acquire these first 100, 200, 300 users on the product. So telling a great story, you know, people get extra attracted, they sign up. Now, the problem starts there because people go and sign up. 
they check it out and they say, oh, okay, fine. And they never return. <laughs> so this is one of the biggest milestones. How do you get active users on the product? This is where all startups, all new ideas, all new innovations fail. Uh, now, what I say is this is the first time in reality when they acquire these actual users on the product, they start learning from the market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the point of, uh, you know, when they start learning. Now, they have already spent months in developing the product. They're already down, I would say, a couple of hundred to a million dollars in launching the product. And now the first learning from the market starts. And this is where, yeah, I mean, they realize uh, after spending another six, eight months that the product should not have been built in the first place. Mm -hmm. And uh, and this is a story of lots and lots of products. I would say 95% of the products failing have the same story or a similar story uh, there. Uh, and... Uh, and this is why I think uh, innovation failed because with this approach, maximum you will build four or five products in a year, and most of them fail almost 100% mm -hmm. times. And this is where the ROI doesn't come in. Two, three years later, uh, the CFO of the company comes chasing the CIO or the innovation leader. Hey, you've spent such, uh, such amount of money. There's no ROI coming from this. I think it's time to shut the lab or whatever their accelerator or incubator programs they're running with, within the corporate. This is why I think you see all these uh, failing points there. Yeah, this is, I think, this is a typical scenario I've seen uh, in most of the companies. You uh, said something very interesting. They started learning months after releasing. Right. Learning. Why is such an important key component throughout the innovation process? It's a beautiful question, actually. Uh, so to uh, to answer this question, I also say that if you really want to do well in innovation, you want to see ROI. I think one of the major core uh, thing which companies have to learn is to learn, uh, is to build a habit of learning from the market. Mm -hmm. They have to hone the skill of learning. And uh, this is where most innovative companies actually put all their uh, innovation money on learning, I would say. Uh, that's how I've seen them successful. Uh, why learning is important is that whenever we start with this idea or a new business model, uh, almost like, uh, I mean, if we just go with the, on the day one of me writing that, uh, even filling up that business model canvas or whatever lean canvas you're using, at that time, the probability of my idea being successful in the market is maybe 5%. And if I, uh, and you will have, I think, better odds in Las Vegas to win money rather than building a product and, you know, putting that in the market by with this kind of probability. Uh, so by learning, what we are trying to do is, why this is 5%? Because most of the things in the business model is not known to us. Got it. We feel it's, it's known. Uh, because we have been in the industry or for so long, we are an expert of XYZ, we know our customers, I've heard all of these stories, all of these excuses. But uh, when you actually go to the market, uh, it kind of fails. And uh, so to increase the probability of idea being successful in the market, you have to devise a way where you can <laughs> learn what the market really needs <laughs> without spending a lot of time, time is <laughs> one of the currencies, and without spending a lot of money. And this is where the innovation starts to happen when the companies start to get into this direction of learning, fast and cheap uh, uh, learning from the market to make those decisions. This is where you start slowly stacking up your probability from 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 to, uh, you know, you can probably uh, go up to 60, 70. You can never reach 100. Uh, but the more probability of success of your idea is, and learning will help you bring, bring you to that higher number. And... Uh, the better your odds are at winning innovation, at, at innovation, yeah. So this is why learning is important. And uh, as I said, time and what is the cost of learning, that is also very important, KPIs for innovation. I talked to, in the past six months, I think I've talked to over 50 different companies, especially larger companies. And uh, what you are saying to me, I can refer to my experiences. I talked to one of the major corporate in Luxembourg and they say it takes us 18 months to develop an idea and turn it into prototypes that we could see 
and see how it works. I couldn't believe that this is the situation, hmm. but it seems like a widespread syndrome amongst bigger corporations that it takes time and time equals cost, I would say, to, to maximize their learning around new initiatives. What's your take on this? So uh, I'll give you an I'll answer this with an example here. And, uh, and this is a learning which we had, uh, to be honest, a very hard way. Mm -hmm. uh, we uh, also followed the same approach, uh, which you just mentioned to this corporate. And we spent around 150,000 of our own money um, in, in, in US dollars. And uh, to learn that nobody wanted that product. So the learnings happened, really expensive learning happened there for a long period of time. Uh, but then the second example I want to give you just to compare these uh, scenarios is that's when we started to question our way of learning from the market. And the second idea we tested, uh, so we were able to learn from the market in uh, $5,000. Mm -hmm. So this was a huge difference. And we were able to learn it in three to four months. And I met someone uh, who was working on a very, very similar idea. They took the approach you, you just mentioned from the corporate side. So they were working on a very, I would say, almost 95% of idea we tested and they were working on were, was the same, almost the same. And uh, we had, uh, so when I spoke to her, the CEO of this company, she mentioned that they built the product, they launched the product. So overall, I think they spent around 1.2 million and uh, they spent around 18 months or 19 months, almost two years on, on that idea. Uh, and the learning we had with 5,000 versus the learning they had at 1.2 million, when we compared these, these were exactly the same. That this, this product should not be built because the scalability issue and all those things which we found out in 5,000, they learned it in 1.2 million euros with uh, two years of time versus four months of time. And uh, so yeah, this, the learning is not going to, so to answer your question, the time and money is not going to give you more learning over the period of time. It's the approach, the way you approach uh, learning is, is, is what is inherently different. And, uh, and that's why I said that learning with speed and very, very less cost is what, is, uh, what, is, what should be the most important KPIs for, uh, for innovation. And now, interestingly, I spoke to a corporate in Scandinavia where uh, the lead innovation leader, uh, they're adapting this fast learning approach. And they mentioned that for the new idea, uh, which comes on their plate, they give a team of five, $10 to create two learnings from the market. Wow. So they only get more funding if they get two learnings from the market for $10. And That's smart. Exactly. And it's possible to get it for $10. Yes. <laughs> wow. You know, I often benefit greatly when I impose clear and tight limitation on the works of my designers. Mm -hmm. Right. When I talk to big companies that say, hey, compared to this fancy innovation consultant or agency that you pay hundred thousands to come in and they probably sit in a meeting with you and look and pose as if there are Steve Jobs and you have to spend like hundred thousands of euros or dollars, we can do what they would do in six months for you in four weeks with like one cent of that cost. And they often think the us coming at a lesser price point is a disadvantage. Hmm. I... I'm trying to find a way to formulate that, that being cheap is not being cheap. It's actually being smart. Right. What's your take on this? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Uh, and I, I actually compare this with uh, how marketing became, became growth hacking. And yes. uh, uh, marketing and branding used to be an affair of millions of dollars spent on building this brand and but no startup could really afford that kind of money on, you know, creating ads on TV and stuff like that at one point. And they came up with the concept of how can I do growth hacking, which is uh, grow like crazy, even more than these corporates, even more than the, all the established brands. But I'm not going to spend that kind of money on that. 
So this is just being smart with whatever resources you have, whatever money you have, uh, 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 to maximize the return of of that. And uh, and it's the same thing here. Uh, uh, of course, these consulting companies are expensive because the approach they are taking is way, uh, I would say, uh, way more complicated or way more stacked up with a lot of activities, which is really mm -hmm. not required at that moment uh, of time. So uh, one of the concepts I, uh, or, or the question I usually uh, go with uh, when I'm trying to answer this question as well is, let, in innovation, we have unknowns. Our job is to convert these unknowns to knowns. So whatever the next unknown I have in my idea, what is the smallest and the cheapest thing I can do to convert this unknown to a known? Simply speaking, if we get to that mindset, we, you will see that, okay, even creating a prototype or doing a design exercise or running a design sprint might not be relevant for that unknown. Maybe a very simple thing could be, you know, I'm just chatting with five uh, prospective customers. This is, it doesn't cost me anything. I can literally go to LinkedIn or social media and find them and then just talk to them. Uh, and, uh, and it's as easy as possible. Or even forget about LinkedIn or this thing. I remember, I, I mean, I'm going to a mall uh, and uh, standing outside Vodafone shops because I know these are the prospective customers. I'm looking, the customers of Vodafone. I just kind of people walking around and talking to them. Uh, it, it was as simple as that. And people are so much happier to, you know, oh, yeah, sure, I'm going to help you. 15 minutes, no worries, not a problem. And uh, so versus I'm spending uh, 100000 on mm -hmm. hiring a research company mm -hmm. doing this for me. And my data would be more powerful than their data because they're going to just create biasness and all these things in, in the data. This free experiment in the mall Outside, outside Vodafone is much, much more valuable and doesn't cost me anything. So this is how you can compare uh, compare this. It's it's another example I remember. Uh, somebody, a customer came to us for experimentation and then they gave me that we have already done some interviews with customers through a research company. So I'll give you a very, it's a very good example uh, worth mentioning. And I think they charged them around 80K to 100K for that research. Uh, maybe around some surveys were run and uh, and a very simple, simply speaking, when I saw the question they're asking is how, very simple question, and it's common, I mean, it's not even a surprise, how much are you willing to pay for this product? Okay, that was the question in the research. Uh, and then, and they concluded a price point based on the answers. This is what you should be selling that. Now, to me, I was saying, why didn't you go to an astrologer <laughs> and, and ask them, can you predict this future for us? If you're asking the customer to predict the future, basically, that's what I'm coming at. Uh, a very, very simple question. Like, well, how much are you willing to pay? They will say anything, and they're not going to behave like that eventually. And this kind of research is costing them 80 to 100K, and this kind of data is totally not valuable from my perspective. Versus what you could have done by yourself uh, with talking mm -hmm. to ten people in a mall, in in a U-bahn or this uh, you know this uh, tube or something, whatever, uh, this will be much more valuable. So it doesn't matter how much money you're really spending; uh, it, it it matters how how you're really doing this. You mentioned something towards in the beginning that. Um... When we draft the business model, your odds of succeeding is 5%. Then you have to start learning so you, you can increase your odds. So sort of this insinuates or implies an act of ongoing research that you need to continue doing research to increase confidence, to gain more confidence about what you have. I want to touch I want you to touch up, touch upon the act of continuous learning and iteration. Um, and something that seems it, I expect that more people are aware of this, but it's 
not the case, sadly. And I am have to say sadly because a lot of great ideas come from great, like a lot of, like you, it's really rare that you arrive at the 10x idea, so to speak, in the first iteration. So um, how would you go about educating a client that they are not aware of the act of continuous learning and iteration? Absolutely. So one of the common practices I'm uh, seeing um, in most of the corporate is what you mentioned, this word user research or market research. They, are, they, they know this. Uh, most of them are uh, you know, aware of how this works. And this is why I start my education there. That uh, They say that we have already interviewed our customers or we have ran some survey uh, with our customers and this is the result we've got. Or they hire, as I mentioned, these research companies to do this job for them. And uh, now how I try to educate them is that the surveys and interviews are a good starting point. They, they have been there, it's a good starting point. But we need to understand what do they really give us? Uh, mm-hmm. What kind of data? So coming to data, what kind of data is this? How are we going to look at this data? Mm-hmm. So what we are getting from interviews and surveys is how my prospective customers are thinking about something or how they are thinking uh, and sharing as well with me how they might behave in the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is where I say that it's kind of a, future prediction as well in, in the data which is there inside these uh, the result of these uh, research work, uh, which is a good starting point. We should know where they are standing, where their opinions are. So I cap- capture this as this data is equal to opinion, right. which is coming from the research. Now, uh, now, if you'll ask me my opinion of what am I going to do in the morning, what is my morning routine? I uh, or if you would ask me yesterday, yeah, that's a good point. If you would ask me yesterday, I would have told them I'm waking up at 6.30, doing my yoga and meditation. Uh, this is as per me, right? Uh, and then uh, I'll, I'll drop my daughter and then you know I'll be at work at 9 o'clock. Uh, but in reality today, I woke up at 8 o'clock. We barely made to her school and uh, because I was watching Netflix last night. And uh, uh, so... So this is basically the reality hits the life. Uh, so my opinion was I'll do all these little things, meditation and yoga and all these things. But in reality, sure. I was it, my life was totally different. And this is true for everyone. Uh, uh, this happens uh, all the time. So what I say is my be- actual behavior was different. And this is what happens with research data. Research data mm-hmm. captures opinions. And uh, and these research are like surveys, interviews, focus groups, basically capture opinions. But the behavior of the customer is very different from what they said in those uh, uh, those uh, you know research work. And uh, this is where uh, the big gap is, and this is what where experimentation fills this gap. Now, what what is very common is based on the research data. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is built in business cases as well. Uh, they build the product. And this is again, uh, so let's say you started with five and you did some research, you might go to 10. Right. But you're not going to 50 with that. No, you're not going to 80 with that. No, you're maybe reaching at 10 uh, with the positive result from research. But then you still need more learning from the market of actually how users will behave or customers will behave. You need to learn that. And then slowly, with each little learning, your probability starts to increase, like from 15 to maybe 20, 20 to 25, 25, 30, on a good scenario. You know, most of the ideas we have tested, almost 80 to 90% of them, they don't go beyond 15. They refuse to move beyond 15. Wow. Right? And only very few cross 50. And these are likelihood of success successful idea of still likelihood because it's 50 50 still so this is how your uh, your continuous learning needs to needs to happen and with each step whatever your your learning is coming in is only increasing a notch higher your probability of success uh, so somebody also asked me when do you stop learning it is mm. never mm-hmm. so never because there will always be the next unknown for you and you have to continuously 
hone this. Yeah. And also it reflects on a short-minded understanding of product development. I think a lot of folks out there still um, in the world of agile and they still think in waterfall. They still think that there is an end to a product, but there is never an end to a product. A product is a living, breathing ecosystem that by every push, by every update, you probably open a few Pandora boxes unwantedly. Then your job would be to go explore those Pandora boxes and see what's in there. Is there an opportunity for me? Should I close them or should I keep them open? Right. And that's absolutely true. Uh, yeah, you, uh, and a very simple, I mean, it's a simplified uh, definition of that is, you start with an idea, you would need to know, does the problem really exist? Uh, for the customers I'm f f focusing on. And it's just not about problem. A lot of problems exist, uh, but are they really frustrated about having that problem? Is mm -hmm. there no solution out there who can solve that for them? And then you'll also further go into the way I am trying to build a solution. Would it deliver value to them? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, then you will probably need to test, okay, what is the pricing? What is the packaging? Stuff like that. You also want to kind of know uh, about... Uh, uh, you know, how am I going to acquire them? What channels are they hanging out on? What message would work for them? Uh, uh, once they, I acquire them, how will I keep them actively use the product? Uh, mm -hmm. Would they refer others for, for to, to my product? Uh, would they be satisfied with the way I'm delivering the product? Uh, so your acquisition funnels, activation funnels, these needs becomes unknown for you. And then it's a continuous cycle of then honing these funnels and then uh, there'll be a competition that will bring a, a cheaper price. So you have to go back. Okay, what else can I offer? What other problems can I solve for my customers? It's a continuous process of hunting new things, hunting new unknowns, and you know, continuously working on that. It's never going to stop. Yes, uh, uh, to answer that question, yeah, it's never going to stop. <laughs> Lean Apps is a very well-known innovation studio based in Berlin, and. One of the exciting packages you offer is experimentation as a service. Mm -hmm. So first time I read that, I there was a lot of question marks above my head popping up. What is this? So let me tie it to, uh, to what you said earlier, tracking behavior through experiments. So with that, uh, what is experimentation as, as a service? And how can folks listening to this podcast could benefit from experimentation service offered by Linapps. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I would go to a very core definition of experiment first. Uh, so people really also have confusion there because they also sure. uh, understand design sprint as an experiment sometimes. They also kind of take research as experiment. So, so what in general, what we do with experimentation is we pretend so whatever idea is there, we pretend that the product already exists. Uh, and uh, uh, what we try to do is we bring uh, the value proposition or the problem we are solving or value proposition we want to deliver in front of our customers, pretending we are already in the market uh, offering this value. Mm -hmm. And uh, this comes in different forms. Uh, you can do um, offline testing with brochures and online with landing pages, run some ad campaigns, create a video around it. So basically, whatever you're going to do eventually as sales and marketing, you sure. just do it before the product. No. Uh, that's, the, that's the mindset uh, here. And this is why, I mean, a lot of people also ask me, it doesn't work for our industry. And I ask them, are you not going to build a sales and marketing team around your product? And the answer is yes, then you can actually experiment. <laughs> it doesn't work with B2B. It doesn't work with physical products. They always keep telling me that. So it's like if, you, if it's going to be sold and you're going to have a sales team, if you're going to have a marketing team, it can be tested. And uh, uh, so what, uh, what we try to do is we try to bring uh, it in front of the customer in their natural environment. And this is very right. important. They're not coming to your office in focus groups. They're not running, you know, answering some survey, which is very unnatural. That's not how they're buying. They're buying by finding something on social media. 
right. see an ad, they go to and learn about the product, and they say, okay, this makes sense. I would like to try it. This is right. how we, we as individuals also buy buy like that now. We go to Amazon, search for a new product or something. And, uh, and you kind of want to run experiments in as close as possible to the natural way of buying. Uh, they let they stumble upon this on some social media or on an event industry like B2B on an industry event they stumble upon a new product where a lot of B2B buying happens. Mm-hmm. And then you allow them to let's say book a demo with you or uh, uh, or you know come on a call with you or uh, uh, directly also sometimes put money on the table. Um, so what I'm trying to say here is experiment is also experiment. And the data from the experiment is valuable only when sure. the customer gives you some skin in the game, right? So I'll, I'm going to question design sprint people here uh, when they give vouchers or Amazon vouchers for user testing. That is already building bias in the data. Is that person? Oh wow, me? that's a good point. Right? Is that person here for the voucher, or he does really is my customer and uh, want to give me a true feedback? And I have a hack for that. I'll, I'll, I'll come to that uh, hack to fix the design sprint testing. And uh, so there, are, there, there needs to always be a skin in the game from the customer. So, yeah. so the skin in the game, because I know a bit about the skin in the game. I think a lot of folks listening to this probably is, is their first time listening to this yeah. and to this phrase. So you said something to summarize, because I think it's, it might be a complicated Absolutely. Uh, topic. So you said, like, let's pretend that this is an actual business. So that was really important. I picked up on this. And let's put it in front of the audience in their natural environment. Correct. Right? So in, if I want to buy, I don't know, drinking water on Amazon, I'm not coming to your office to buy it. I, I sit in, in my sofa at, on a Friday evening or whatever, and then look at Amazon and pick stuff, one of which is drinking water. Correct. So then a skin in the game means I see your pretend product amongst all the other products in that list, and I'm willing to buy it. The willingness is, is the willingness the skin in the game? So I'll explain that. So it depends on different ideas, different things. So uh, this putting money on the table is like one of the ideas what we did was it was B2C. So we put some pictures and explain them and gave them an option to buy it directly. So that's a very, very simple uh, this thing where they would pay through PayPal. And as soon as the money uh, is paid, there is an email going after half an hour. I'm sorry, we were out of stock. And here's your wow. money back, right? And uh, that's brilliant. This is the biggest kid in the game you can get. They already put the money on the table. But in the process of experimentation, you start with a small currency. Like, for example, uh, you will just collect emails in the beginning. And internally, actually, we have fun with this because we said personal email is less valuable than work email. and (laughs) uh, And work email is less valuable than phone number. And uh, and then even bigger than phone number is the time they spend, the, the willingness of spending time with us. And then eventually it comes to, in B2B, we also add the letter of intent. And then eventually it's money. So this is like a rough uh, structure. So personal email for us is uh, 25 cents. Uh, uh, company email is 50 cents. Phone number is $1. Uh, time spend is one minute is $1. And uh, actually, when they put money on the table, that's the real money uh, eventually. So this is how we kind of put skin in the game into dollar value as well. So how much dollar value can you uh, can you get from a particular experiment is what we always measure. Uh, and we put targets beforehand. We are running, let's say, a landing page with only with problems. I want to collect uh, 100 personal emails. Uh, so that's going to be $25. Oh, yeah, $25, something like that. So this is how we kind of put targets to it. And then when we run experiments, this, this should match what we are expecting. Uh, so this is what how the experiment should run. These are the some, you can say, ingredients of experiments, skin in the game. Uh, it should be in the natural environment. They should not know that you don't exist. They should basically feel that this is a real deal. 
and uh, this the data you're collecting now is of real behavior so then it becomes an experiment and the data which is really useful for making decisions on your business model now we learned it the hard way as i mentioned we built the whole product we failed with it later on we learned this whole way of working now when i was as a hobby i was doing a workshop at a corporate in munich and uh, it came down to experimentation so we had unknowns on the table we designed some experiments and now things had to go in motion sure. and this is where uh, i asked them uh, you know i'll help you with the landing page experiment so i said go and you know uh, buy this account on this particular platform blah blah, blah. and then the question starts to come in who is going to pay for uh, the subscription of this landing page platform who is going to pay for the ads and it was not big money and these were c level people asking me are we going to involve procurement uh, into this how are we going to get reimbursed for this stuff like that i was like i have no idea and it's not it's 100 bucks guys come on just spend it what's the big deal they didn't want to yeah. spend 100 bucks <laughs> and uh, and this is where i kind of thought about it that corporates would need help with this uh and this was the kind of i would say spark of experimentation as a service uh where we said okay uh, this is too complicated for them to understand in terms of they usually are used to involve uh, do rfps they're used to do uh, uh involvement procurement when a new agency comes in they're used to uh, uh you know that have this multi multi vendor environment stuff like that is kind of and this doesn't fit well with uh, innovation when we are looking at time to market and cost at what we are learning uh, from the market and it yeah. just doesn't fit so this is where we kind of came up with the concept that whenever they want to test a new idea whatever they need to generate the data will be provided to them everything and this was a big change for us as a company as well because uh, we were used to build products earlier and now we needed suddenly uh, uh, people who can uh, copyright people who can design people who can do videography people who can do online marketing people who can create landing pages and then you know all of this needs to be built because it it's a multi skill uh, uh you know experimentation uh, needs a lot of multi skills it's like a growth team usual growth team right and uh, you need the whole set of illustrations and graphic design and i i learned a lot of things on the way as well uh and uh uh so we, so if they have to now and this is now when I, what i'm talking is actually already four agencies within the corporate imagine running an experiment with the, all the four agencies getting involved and this is where i saw as an opportunity that this could be a thing we can offer where we can help them test their new business models uh without them uh, worrying about different agencies and this is under one house and uh and uh, uh, making sense of data for them providing the mentors as well along with them mentors are people who have already either uh, done their startups exited them or have failed mm -hmm. with their startups so they really know how new business models are built so they are the people guiding them to design their business model uh, to bring them to a point where they understand the unknowns in the idea design some experiments and then we have experimentation team then actually launching these experiments and bringing data from the market to make those decisions this is what in a whole experimentation as a service started to take a shape uh, it was called different things it was called slush uh, i don't know for some reason it was also called prototype uh, funding and finally we kind of said it experimentation as a service makes more sense uh, mm -hmm. kind of has a vibe to it, it uh, yeah that's why we are at experimentation as a service now i read in one of your posts that with experimentation you can learn and validate problem customer experience solution experiments and viability experiments mm -hmm. of course they make sense when you hear it but when you think about it there is whole depth underneath each of these areas mm -hmm. so let's play let's do role play i am ceo of a fortune 500 asking you mr sony what can i do with experimentation what can i validate Right. So can you walk us through, can you walk me through these three different areas, problem, customer experience, solution experiments, and viability? Right. So in an, 
shorter answer, I would say there are four questions which every idea needs to answer. Correct. Uh, and then these four questions are, uh, are we solving a problem for our customers for which they are frustrated? Mm -hmm. Question number one. Question number two is, uh, the solution we want to develop, would it deliver value to the customer? So the value part is important here. And then, okay, we are we have, we have found a problem which they are frustrated about. We are able to deliver value to them. Can we deliver this profitably? Got this it. is the third question. And the fourth question is, and this is specifically for corporates and also for startups, I would say, even if it's a big problem, we are delivering value and it's done profitably, can we do it at scale? And scale means uh, different things for different companies. So corporates don't uh, take C any idea seriously, which is like less than 10 million uh, annual recurring revenue. They don't take it seriously. That's a drop in the ocean for them. They look at 50 million, 100 million kind of idea. So you have to do it at scale. Uh, also VCs these days, they want to kind of look at bigger. Uh, we are talking about unicorns now. So it has to kind of make sense on a billion dollar scale. So these are the four questions which needs to be answered. Now, these questions can be answered through experimentation without oh. actually writing a single line of code or building any product, nothing. Mm. No investment will be done on developing anything. Now, what happens is there are three different big areas where you would need experimentation. And this is first is you have to find the right combination of the problem you're solving and the customer right. uh, you're solving it for. This is where your first question is, are we solving the problem for which our customer is frustrated? So in most of the cases or the teams we have worked with, they have sometimes multiple problems for a single customer, or they also have like, we are solving this problem uh, and we can sell it to A, B, C, D, E. So they have multiple customer segments they can reach out to. So one of the first phase of the experimentation is all about finding the right problem and customer uh, combination, which will be, uh, which we feel will be the most profitable and scalable later on. It can also be an assumption, but you have to find that combination initially. So a lot of experiments are done around this. Uh, uh, of course, it starts with interviews and customer discovery, just to understand what they're thinking, as I mentioned earlier. But then you have to convert this into quantitative data uh, of am I able to convert the same message which I've learned there into numbers on landing page or on my ad campaigns or uh, other experiments which we run in problem space. We call it problem space. Uh, so you live on this problem space until you get the perfect combination. So, uh, and also the way key crazy things that starts to happen is you go and talk to customers, you find new problems from them, which are more valuable for them. So it's, you also change direction in this space a lot. Once you fix the problem and the customer, the second uh, aspect of this is, uh, can we deliver value to them by solving this problem? And this is where uh, a same problem can be solved, I don't know, through VR, or could also be a simple app, or could also be, so there are multiple solutions to the same problem. Uh, so a very good uh, example I would give is, people think of these apps and, you know, this is a new thing, we have to have digital solutions, uh, but, we were working with uh, patients who were 60 year old plus, uh, and they were, uh, and then they were thinking of VR solution when we started. To be honest, VR. So who's going to use that? So it's like mm -hmm. maybe we don't know. It's an assumption they will use. They'll be okay to use VR. So almost 90% of the people of this segment didn't know VR. So that was the first validation that not to do VR, and uh, eventually it's it's really really funny. Uh, they came to app and all these digital solutions. The only thing they needed was a phone call <laughs> to solve their problem. Exactly. Right. So it. So you. What will be the right solution to deliver the value is what your next hunt would be. So this is where you'll do your uh, quick prototypes. I don't. Don't even go to design sprints. It just has to be really quick and dirty. One or two days. The prototype should be out. Uh, you're going to record a video, for example, explaining how this functions, then screens maybe there showing the flow of how you solve the problem. Uh, it could also be a physical product. You can also create a, a, a prototype for that. Also pretty fast with CAD designers. They do a pretty good job these days. And uh, 
and then put them in put it in the, put it in front of them put it in front mm-hmm. of the customers that's where you're testing your solution continuously with them understanding whether enough people are going to buy into this so one of the big kpis i usually uh, measure at this stage is how many of them are willing to spend 90 minutes with us to get the product demo time is the skin in the game in this in this this case right uh, so this is what we do in the solution space uh, so you've gone from problem space to solution space now the big question is can i do it profitably and can i scale this to uh, you know this thing so this is where your viability space comes into picture what kind of sales packages i want to create there we create this uh, whatever gold uh, silver gold platinum kind of packages what will be included what is the pricing for this all of this comes the next part of the puzzle of uh, whether they're going to uh, buy from us in b2b the buying looks differently from b2c b2c as mm-hmm. i mentioned you can create these fake checkouts uh, yeah. where you can directly ask them to put money on the table so that's the mm-hmm. biggest skin in the game you can get biggest validation for an idea you can get and then for b2b we kind of go a little lower money won't come so easily from their side but it's a bit of letter of intent for example so i will work with a corporate that's important to understand we create a new brand and we pretend it's a startup from berlin uh, you know new logo new url all of that and then we go to this b2b scenario to another corporate whom we are selling and we say actually the original corporate is willing to invest into us if i get five letter of intent from the prospective customers would you be willing to give one so this which means which we were talking earlier they have to involve procurement into this oh yeah for a letter of intent to oh okay so we make sure that they have to uh because we want to see how many hoops they are willing to jump to get to the product it Got has it. to be a real big pain for them to jump the hoops it has mm-hmm. to be valuable for them and the more hoops you create the better it is and they are willing to jump the better it is so this is how you test the viability uh in in that space you will put pricing there as well like eventually you will be procuring this for this much price and all that uh, and then that's why procurement gets involved uh and uh, so this is how you kind of go through different phases with an experimentation to answer those four basic questions when it comes to so um can we scale it does that mean is there enough of a big market around this product uh yes uh so it it depends on how big like how do you define big uh, right. big could be like i have a small uh, revenue per unit but the market is so big that i can uh, make a lot of money out of it so i have millions of people who will take on to this product but the market could be small like there are only 100 customers but they are paying a big amount of money per unit right so uh, 100 users with uh, uh, a million each revenue uh, let's say customer lifetime value is million then it's already 100 million idea right uh, so it depends on uh, how you how you count that uh, of course the more number of people out there are the easier it is to experiment that's what we have realized as well and uh, Uh, uh yeah so because it's easier to reach out to more people get more feedback around your idea and your different different zones which i mentioned and uh, uh so and another point is that uh that you're you're able to scale like you're not going to get all 100 so you are able to find a formula which we were trying to build a formula from all these experiments all the learnings which you are having with these experiments is eventually going to create a formula and this formula is very simple that uh, you i've already tested the pricing you've already tested uh, you know the message which works for you so you kind of have a idea of cost of acquisition right you already have a kind of uh, like what, how much is going to be the customer lifetime value based on the business model you are testing uh approximate it's not 100% but yeah i mean you're getting closer and closer to the answer and uh with this formula uh how i'm going to 
who am I going to reach out to? What am I going to tell them? How much cost it would be? How much they're going to pay me? All of this is a formula where you can take this formula and simply uh, apply the logic of scalability. And most corporates are really good at that point. When they have the mm -hmm. formula, they already have marketing power. They have sales power. They, that's, that's the superpower they have. Startups have to build this from scratch. And they already have that. They have the whole touch point with the customers, really. It's like yeah. autobahns built between the company and the customer. And, uh, but they, they, these, these, these paths works really well when the formula is already there. They can scale really fast. Mm -hmm. uh, but the challenge with corporates is to get to the formula. And this is the job of innovation. They should not scale things. Innovation should not scale things. They should just get to the point where they have the formula, which we call also call product market fit, and hand it over to the scale-up teams. They can do do a wonderful job there. I want to just drill down a bit. Like, let's go back to the example that you mentioned. Is like, I am a startup. I'm offering high ticket. B2B service, mm -hmm. it's a, let's say it's a, a year of service, predicted, projected, total contract is around 100K. Mm -hmm. I am connected to corporate A, I'm asking for 500,000 for the first year. 100K a contract for a year, I need to go find five other B2B client to give me a letter of, engagement or letter of content, a letter of commitment. So I want to get a bit nitty gritty on this. What if I've reached out to 10, right? Talk to seven of them, close two of them. Mm -hmm. Should I drop this or should I iterate? Depends on, okay, so you've got two closures, but you're looking for five. Yeah, because essentially I, I went through this with my business coach, with the startup coach. It's like your first year of, if you want to get behind this startup, for in the first year you have 500,000 costs because you need to have this and this and this and this, and this let's say. And then I'm, I'm seeing that there is a skin in the game, but it's not where I could go to the corporate A and say, I have, I have it, give me 500K. Right, okay, now fair enough. I think that's a good question. I think it, uh, it depends on a lot of factors, but I'm gonna simplify it. It's, uh, first thing, it's just one negative signal. So you have experiment phase five out of 10, but you only got two out of uh, 10 to convert. This is a, uh, in the algorithm which we use for calculating probability of success, this is a negative signal. So you'll stay at 5% of mm -hmm. probability. You're not moving for, for, forward. It's not going to move you forward. Now, this is just a data saying what it says. Now, the subtle part here is that uh, now there is a possibility while you're talking to them, there is some problem which they mention for which they're actually willing to give you 200,000. Yeah. Okay, so this is an information you know, right? So there's one possibility that, okay, <coughs> can I pivot to the new problem? That's one decision. Right. right, right. But this is only one experiment, so I'm not gonna rely my complete decision on one experiment. But what I can do is, very simply, change my problem statement, mm -hmm. go back to 10, maybe not the same, the next 10, and talk about the second problem. Right. Right. And, now and then compare. Uh-huh. I can compare, right? Uh-huh. And this is simple. This is not complicated. So you, you have the data now to compare between the two. Suddenly your business model is shifting now, uh, if, you, if you see that's possible. Now, uh, also, In, uh, yeah. Please. Mm -hmm. uh, so also, uh, there is a second approach which you can do is uh, maybe the, there is a, so this is, a, this is a business model question, actually. There is a point that they are giving 100K, mm -hmm. but you might have an experience from your previous corporate life that corporates don't stop at 100. In five years, they become a million, right? From upselling and cross-selling and uh, you know, right. building account management and stuff like that. 
So it might be that you've got a hope to get in. It's costly because it's five, your cost is 500K, but you're still not making money. But this is a burn uh, you're okay to accept until you get to that, uh, that you know in five years I'll have a million from this customer. So then this might, it's a business model question, right? So right. you're okay to burn this money for next two years to acquire, but then in fifth year, I'm going to make, make up for that. Uh, right. This is also, also kind of a business model question. Usually you, but what in SaaS business, I know the number is, uh, let me think, I think it's cost of acquisition or customer lifetime value should be three times cost of acquisition. Something like that is there. There is a factor already calculated there. Uh, so you might be burning more money in the beginning to acquire them, but you know over the period of time, uh, I'll get three times more than what I've uh, burned in the beginning. And uh, yeah, and then eventually you can you can go back to the corporate and say, hey, here's a scenario. I can even out in five years, and you end up then probably the, the corporate response and say, okay, then I would need twenty five more percent of your company because. The risk that you're presenting to me is much higher than the scenario A. Right. So this is quite common uh, also for us uh, personally. Let's say we are uh, we are willing to spend on a right customer in the beginning around four to five k in acquisition. This is where I might uh, we might travel, do some workshops on the house, just cr- trigger the emotion of experimentation in them. Maybe do some experimentation as well for them if it's the right fit. But we know this will eventually, once they get the hook of it, it will eventually uh, get into the right customer lifetime value over the period of time. So, yeah, it's not for all, but you do it for the right customers. 100%. So, um, I want to, this is, this is what I exactly hoped for. I mean, in 60 minutes, how are you feel? Can I squeeze in another qu- uh, question? Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. You had a fantastic post recently and it just hit, hit me home, like hit me where it's alive. Principles of experimentation. Hmm. Data bits opinion. Always get some skin in the game. Sell before build. Think globally, test locally. We talk about, for example, skin in the game, a bit about data. But I just want to like, you know, corner you and really focus and give us like a sales pitch on each of these items, right? Why data bits opinion? It's absolutely on human nature. Uh, And uh, that's why it's basically human nature at the end. What we say and uh, what we actually do is going to be miles apart always and uh, because and i was reading this book and i was was like totally related to homo deus from yuval harari right and this is where he said we have two personalities in us one is the experience me and there is a narrative me opinion is very narrative the stories we tell ourselves all right yeah all right yeah i see and the actual thing we do is based on what i really want to do my experience what i enjoy so the buying happens on experience, not on narrative. So this is why you can't build a product on the story they are telling you. You have to build a product on what they actually do. Where their hearts, where their hearts beat, actually. Exactly. Fantastic. Always get some skin in the game. So now, uh, I think I've written that in the post as well, that it is very easy for people to open their mouth and give you your words. <laughs> it's super hard to open their wallets. 100%. So product needs to open wallets. It doesn't matter what they're saying from their mouths. And this is why skin in the game, step by step, small skin in the game, every time they're giving some value back to you, proving that the word is not coming alone as words, it's coming with some value. And this is why skin in the game. And that's the data which is the most valuable. What You can say whatever. But if you put some skin in the game with the words, I consider that data as the most important one to make my decision. 
Why do I have to sell it before I build it? To learn at a very fast pace mm-hmm. without spending a lot of money. Got it. That's, that's the simple reason. I don't want to build a product which is the most expensive and most time-consuming way to go to the market and learn. If I have a simpler and faster way to do it, and selling before building is a way to learn really, really fast. A lot of things. Andrew Constable from one of the previous uh, episodes, he says something along the line as, as, uh, as you just said it, but in different branding, he said, pitch a great offer first, then build your product. Yeah, exactly. That's so good. Like, you know, pitch it first. Can you sell it? You literally do this actually in experimentation when you're selling to B2B. Mm. You will add, you'll come to a point where you'll have to make a pitch. You'll actually pitch the product before you reveal it doesn't exist. And it's, it's putting yourself out there. Because like putting yourself out there and if, if you offer this to me, I either have to say yes or no, I shadow, shadow you. Saying no, getting shadowed is it hurts. It hurts for all the entrepreneurs out there. Like it hurts because then you just don't know what to do now. Right. Because, but the thing is, it's better to invest a week to get to know rather than a year, rather than six months. Absolutely. This one I don't get, and I would love to know. Think globally and test locally. So, uh, when we are creating the business model initially, we need to, as you asked this question, how big the market is. So you have to right. think like that, where all my customers would be. And uh, I think a lot of, com- we, we are in Berlin, and a lot of companies in Germany only think in terms of dark region. Uh, but if you see in the US, they think globally. It's a global, mm. you have to conquer globally. So we have to think like that, think big, right? But when it comes to learning, uh, you need to go to a very small subset of your customers to get that feedback. So when I'm doing landing page or whatever, I'm not bringing thousands of people there. First hundred are enough for me to learn. Uh, also, like there are some companies uh, or uh, some customers tell us that isn't it like we are burning our customers? And I tell them, yes, and you are burning these customers because these are the first hundred who are going to prepare you the, for, for the rest hundred thousand uh-huh. or a million. So ready to be lo- losing those hundred. And it, there is a hack for not losing in, in your market as well. So if you're in, in US, you can go and uh, test it in Canada because it's a similar market. If you're in Germany, go and test it in Austria. That's another hack you can use. But I don't care. I mean, I would rather say go to a city of Berlin, like Berlin in Germany. If you're targeting Germany, go to Berlin. Don't even target the whole Berlin. Go to Neukölln or this little zone of Berlin and test it there. Because the customer segment is going to be similar around. So you can extrapolate that uh, data. So go test more small number of people. and then uh, But think globally when you're creating your business model amazing amazing it's it's been an honor to have you to have this conversation with you Najid. i know it's i've been i've been put you on the pedestal and keep like throwing at your questions you it's end of of working week as well um any last word for our audience especially like a lot of ceos listening to this one I think to the last quarter, 2023, what should be on the on their like agenda when it comes to innovation? I think uh, for any company, startup or corporate, I have, I think we kind of started from that note as well. I think learning the skill of uh, uh, learning from the market and really investing money and honing the skill, learning from this customer is one of the, I think, game changer skills for all the companies in the next decade this decade and the next decade and uh, you would see that the most innovative companies will be really good at experimentation and the most innovative products are going to come out of that 
because uh, simply speaking, they're building for their customers products that they would love, they really want from their heart. And to get to that point, this learning journey is very important. So spend whatever uh, this quarter and probably the next year into this learning this skill, and you'll see wonderful things start to happen within your company. That's, that's my note for everybody out there. Fantastic. You heard the man. Invest in innovation, invest in data-driven experimentation, and you would see the result. You might have some time for ramping up and setting up the system, few months here and there, but invest in that. And you see how, how much of a different game plan, data-driven innovation it is. Thank you. Thank you. This has been, wow. This has been so much, so much learning. Until next episode, goodbye. Thank you.